This is Dr. Edith Ubuntu Chan. Welcome to The Dr. E Show, a show exploring the frontiers of our human possibilities in areas like health and wellness, science and spirituality, quantum biology, and conscious living, so that together we can awaken the best of ourselves and create our most joyful and fulfilling lives. My guest today is neurohumorist Karen Buxman. That's right, Karen is a neurohumorist. That means she studies the interaction between humor and our neurobiology and how we can apply the latest scientific insights to help us tap into our highest levels of human possibility. How awesome is that? Karen is a sought after keynote speaker whose inspirational speeches bring laughter and healing to audiences all around the world from TEDx to Mayo Clinic to the Million Dollar Roundtable, and she's even been inducted into the National Speaker Association's Hall of Fame. Her last book, Lead with Laughter, shows us how humor can be a powerful secret sauce to successful leadership. And her latest book, Funny Means Money, will be published by Forbes later this fall. So please help me in welcoming a woman who is very serious about laughing matters, the one and only Karen Buxman. Wow. Um, That's amazing. That was amazing. <laughs> you did your homework. Thanks, Dr. E. So grateful to have you here, Karen. I know how busy you are because you're working on your book. I just launched my book a few months ago. I know what a huge labor of love that is. So yes, yes. Thank you for Congratulations on your book. That's, um, that's fabulous. So proud of you. Thank you. Thank you for synthesizing your work into ways that really reaches everybody. I know how nerdy and scientific you can get with your work, <laughs> but then you have this amazing gift to turn it into layperson-friendly terms that we can really turn into practical advice for living our day-to-day -day lives. So yes. much appreciated. I mean, I mean as you know, if, if, you know, it doesn't matter what we know if we don't apply it. And, uh, you know, you and I are both about that world of applying the knowledge so that people can really live into their fullest potential. So I'd love to just like do some backstory. How did you get into such, pardon the pun, I'm sure everybody uses this, how did you get into such a funny topic? Right, right. It was, it, it was a number of years ago when I was teaching and I was teaching at a school of nursing at a college and was going back for my master's. And I, you know, I don't know how many of your listeners have been to an institution of higher learning. They want to take the fun right out of any research project. But I had to do a thesis and a, and a research project. And so I chose to look at the relationship between humor and health. And that was actually 30 years ago now. It was back in the late 80s. And very little was being done at the time. People had heard of Norman Cousins. Yes. But there wasn't really much else out there, which in some ways made my research project a little easier. There wasn't tons of material to comb through at the time. The, the whole field of psychoneuroimmunology has just exploded since then. Yeah. But once I started discovering just how powerful this was, uh, and it, you know, it was affecting my life, not only professionally, but personally, uh, it just it just, I decided that I would try taking this um, to the world for a year, leave nursing, instructing, teaching. Mm -hmm. And I thought, you know, if it, if it doesn't 
it, if it doesn't resonate with people, I can always go back. But every year, the the resonation, the the interest from people just kept getting bigger and bigger. And so now here we are, thirty years later, that this work has uh, has evolved through about this will be my eighth book, I believe. And uh, I've traveled the world, getting to share this message with you know groups as small as a few and as big as over 10,000. And it just, it just delights me and excites me when anybody shows interest on how they can harness the power of humor and leverage their laughter to help them build their influence and help them enhance their well-being and experience more resilience and, and just quality of life, right? You know, um, a lot of times in, you know, I live in the San Francisco Bay Area, mm. a lot of nerdy tech people in my community <laughs> and um we often talk there it comes up in conversation a lot what is going to happen to humanity as technology takes over more and more of our lives more and more of our jobs the, this this existential question of what is a human being right that can never be replaced by a robot comes up and things like love and connection and humor and creativity and alignment of body mind and soul these right. things come up in conversation so i love that you are a pioneer in helping us really clarify i mean humor is really an essential part of the human experience i think it is very much of what makes us human and you know being a, a fellow nerd i don't know if you've ever read the book um stranger in a strange land mm -hmm. but i mean it's a classic i think from the early 70s but one of the things that the primary character discovered in his um desire to become more human even though he was human that's a lot i won't go into the backstory but it was his final his ability to experience humor and laughter and it was like at that moment it was like okay now I understand. Now I under you know I get mankind. I get people because I can understand humor and laughter. And I I do think that that's really uh, a, a very primary part of what makes us human. And so you know, whether it's the experience of the cognitive, whether it's the emotional, whether it's the physical, but all of these things together really do make up who we are as people. And and it's interesting because with technology, I do think that. In some ways, it's it, it's been enhanced that we can share more humor. But in some ways, it's decreased our humor because so much of the benefits are, of humor are when you're sharing it with another individual, particularly um, when you're with them. You know, and and face to face, I think is just extraordinary. And so while people are experiencing a lot of humor through videos and movies and games and things like that, it's the power of humor to build those personal connections and those strengthen those relationships that I think is something that we could all benefit more from. What is the definition of humor? I, I think of humor as anything that evokes a smile, um, a, a laugh, or feelings of enjoyment. And, uh, you know, interestingly, when we're working on this book that you mentioned, Funny Means Money. And one of the things that I've tried to do over the last three decades is to quantify more of how people experience and use humor. And it just, it's escaped me for years on how do you, how do you measure that? 
Right. Um, and, and then it struck me that I needed to look at, at two things instead of one, two variables. And, and one is the appreciation of humor. And so I asked people, you know, for those of you who are listening, on a scale of one to 10, how would you rate your ability to amuse yourself or find amusement that would result in smiling, laughing, or feelings of enjoyment? And I think that most high performers would rate themselves at least a five or, or greater. Um, but the other piece was the piece that's been missing for a long time, and that's the application piece. Mm-hmm. So the y-axis that we measure is how often on a scale of one to 10 do you intentionally use humor for a desired outcome consistently and over time? Because wow. you and I, you and I know that high performance. We've learned from a mentor, a common mentor, Brendan Bouchard, that high performance is about the experience of being above the norm consistently and over time. Right. And so, high performance humor is that intentional use of humor for a desired outcome. Now, desired outcome that could be any number of things. You know, do you do you want to feel better? Do you want to have less stress? Do you want to build resilience? Do you want to increase your sales by a staying top of mind? Do you want to diffuse a conflict? Do you want to teach information? I mean, you know, on and on and on and on and on and on and on. Hmm. But for that desired outcome, and then to not let it just happen by chance, but to make it happen by choice. And then if you really want to take it up a notch to that high performance level, to do it repeatedly or consistently over time. And so for people, I think a lot of high performers would rate higher on the appreciation scale. They probably haven't really used humor intentionally and consistently over time. And so that's where we can really take them from good to great or from great to amazing to experience all those benefits that, uh, that humor brings to the table. Wow, you're blowing my mind. I never thought about it that way. But of course, just like any any other skill or gift of life that we appreciate, we can enjoy it by accident or we can consciously cultivate it. Of course. I never Isn't that thought wonderful? about humor in that way. Yeah, just yesterday um I was interviewing a, a person for my book and they were relating to me their exchange with a gentleman from the Midwest who was an insurance agent. And he took on this persona of just kind of the everyman, but his, his persona included telling corny jokes. And that was, just, that was just who he was. And anytime somebody met him, he always brought to, get to the table a, a corny joke that would make everybody groan, but they would laugh and they would smile and they always looked forward to his corny jokes. And I said, you know, he is someone who would rank high in that high performance humor because he's intentionally bringing that humor to the table to establish and build relationships. He's doing it consistently over time. And people would rather do business with a person or an organization that's fun and that's, that has you know, a positive outlook that's fun to be around. And so he's nailed it. That brings me to my next question because sometimes we want to be funny, but we're afraid of being inappropriate or we're afraid that our joke is actually not that funny (laughs) you know like can you help us to break through that barrier because when we all have had the experience how how a great 
sense of humor totally breaks the ice and deepens connection and opens our minds to new possibilities. We all can appreciate that. But sometimes, you know, as the person who wants to cultivate a greater sense of humor, you're afraid that your joke might be offensive or land flat. Can you give us Yes, yes. Oh my gosh. And this is so much of what we're going to go into in depth in the book and through some online classes that I'm developing right now. But It's so interesting and I'm so happy that you said what you said because this is one of the most common misconceptions about high performance humor is that it's about being funnier or even about just being funny. Mm -hmm. And I have found that high performance humor is a bit like a three-legged stool. One of the legs is entertainment. And I think that's where most people think about humor. It's about, oh, making me laugh, making me be entertained. and, And that's great. And the other two legs being influence and well-being. Influence is, you know, everything related to communication and persuasion. And well-being could be health. It could be resilience. It could be um, spirituality, all of those kinds of things. And so in terms of using humor, so many times when I'm working with high performers and coaching them, they'll say, oh, but, but I'm not funny. And my response is, great. Great, because you never have to tell a joke. You never have to try to be funny because it's really more about appreciating humor. Some of the greatest high performers, leaders that I have interviewed around the planet, they're not humor initiators, they're humor appreciators. And so to the more you look for humor, the more you appreciate humor, the more you support and encourage it in others, this, I call it see funny, even though it's not just seeing, it's hearing, it's experiencing. But the more you see funny, the more the be funny falls into place. And I can give people some quick tips on how to be funny, but it needs to come from a place of authenticity. Right. You know, with any leader, I mean, you know, isn't that just a red flag when you know that they're being inauthentic? And I think when people try too hard to be funny, that comes across as inauthentic. And so to start out with appreciation, the more you do it, the easier it becomes. I have um, one of my best, well, she is my best friend here in San Diego. And she's the executive director for the American Institute of Stress. And, you know, we teach what we need to know. She has come through that position. She has a a, a New York Times bestseller. She's written a number of books, including Stressaholic. She experiences a lot of stress. She experiences a lot of depression. And so when we first met, it was because she wanted to know how she could find additional tools to deal with severe depression. And she recognized that humor might help. And so we became fast friends. And one of our agreements, and this is a great tip for the people who are listening, was we became accountability partners. And every day, I start out my day by finding something humorous to send her. Usually a funny meme, it might be a link, it might be something from Pinterest or YouTube or Facebook, whatever. But every day, I start the day with humor for her. Now, as a side note, Initially, I was doing this for her. I will say that I came to realize after a few weeks that I was benefiting 
because I'm starting out my day looking for humor. And it changes the way you look at your day when you start it out positively like that. But Heidi, when I first met her, was she had a humor appreciation, but she'll be the first to tell you she was not funny. Now, I mean, she could occasionally, you know, chime in on something or tell a funny story. But just a few weeks ago, she was chair for a conference here in San Diego. And we've been buddies now for over five years. And she's been practicing seeing funny every day. And if I heard it once, I must have heard it 50 times from people who said, she's so funny. But it was from a place of authenticity. And it was a place of that she could now make remarks about things that she saw and that she experienced and that other people were experienced that came about totally naturally. She never had to tell a joke. I mean, I don't even think she, you know, told any long, funny anecdotes or anything, but her ability to make funny comments about what was going on in our environment was fabulous. And so this is this is one of the ways that I encourage people to start out is just by how can you start nurturing and in that humor appreciation and let the be funny fall into place. And if you if you want, you know, tips on how to be funny, I can still I can teach you that. But this comes from a much more authentic place, a genuine place and a place that will benefit you at a much deeper level. So we don't all have to train to become stand-up comedians. Is not at all. Not at all. As a matter of fact, I mean, that's such a narrow niche and such a select few. Now, I think before I would even encourage anyone to take stand-up, and if you really want to try something fun and be brave, I mean, that's a, for people who want to work on presentation skills, there's something to cut your teeth on. <laughs> You can learn to take abuse and, you know, and, and all sorts of kinds of things. But I mean, it really, it's a great skill to have. Um, I really love improv because improv is, is not like getting up and being able to be funny all the time. A lot of people think improv is about comedy and a lot of it is, but it really is that ability to be in the moment and respond and you know, one of the first rules of improv is yes and. So this is a great skill for being funny, but it's also a great skill in everyday life. If we can work with another person and, you know, they give us a request or, or they make a suggestion that we know is awful, you know, but we don't want to block it. You don't want to stop the conversation. You know, if you learn that skill of yes and, Da, 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 da. Now you're working with them toward your a shared desired outcome, and it's it's a wonderful skill to have. So I encourage everybody to to in, you know investigate and maybe take an improv class because that'll serve you in all walks of life. I love what you say about cultivating the seeing funny. It's kind of like gratitude journal practice has yes. become very very popular, and we know the huge amounts of research about how it influences our productivity, creativity, teamwork, well-being, and so on. But sometimes it becomes like a little bit too serious. You know, and it's funny because a lot of times people will say to me, but you don't understand. There's nothing funny happening in my life. <laughs> and I can empathize 
because there are occasions where nothing's funny. But I will tell you, those are few and far between. And the thing is, you know, that, and I'll encourage people, well, go out and start asking yourself, if, you know, because if, if your belief is that there's nothing funny in your life, that'll be your experience. Mm. Because your experience reflects your beliefs. And that's true in all walks of life. But if instead of going out into the world and going, there's no humor in my life, if you think to yourself, what am I missing? Where's the humor in the situation? You are going to start hearing things that other people miss. You're going to start seeing things that other people overlook. I let, Heidi sends me photos every few weeks of something that she sees out and about. Um, she sent me a photo that I show in a lot of my presentations. It's actually a gym here in San Diego. It's a 24-hour fitness and it has escalators going up to the entrance that people can ride so that they can go in and get on the stairmaster that they paid for. Yeah. You know, it's like, that's funny. That's, that's seeing funny. But here's the thing, you know, a lot of times you may not see it right away. Mm -hmm. And then people will feel justified. They'll say, well, see, I told you there's nothing funny happening in my life. Yeah. But hang in there because if you keep at it, it may take a day, it may take you, you're going to see something and your brain wires and then you continue to look and it wires again. And there's a, a, a law that you're, you're probably familiar with called Hebb's law, which is neurons that fire together, wow. wire together. And the more you look for it, the more your neurons fire. Here's a quick example. Um, there is a BBC radio show that I am madly in love with. It was it was 27 episodes, and and if you can find it online, it, it was marvelous. It's called Cabin Pressure. It, it centers around four people, and one of them is um, Benedict Cumberbatch, who I'm madly in love with. But I, I digress. Anyway, one of the characters on there talks about a game called Yellow Car. And he said, let's play yellow car. And, what, and one of the other characters said, well, how do you play? And he said, well, every time you see a yellow car, you shout yellow car. And they said, okay, well, um, how do you keep score? He said, well, you don't keep score. And they said, well, how do you win? And he said, well, nobody wins. And they said, well, when's the game over? And he said, oh, the game's never over. You're always playing yellow car. And so I decided to make that a, a, just a video challenge for people. And I said, let's go play yellow car. And so my husband's videotaping me while we're out driving around. And we drive and drive and drive. And I was like, oh my gosh, in San Diego, there's no yellow cars. This game's a bust. So we go out again the next day and we drive and drive and, and we start going through residential areas. And it's like, oh, well, there's a yellow car, yellow car. And, you know, but it was like 30 minutes, 60 minutes in between. And we're like, this is just too slow. It's not going to work. But we went out again the next day and we started going down the freeway. And we're like, oh, there's one. There's a yellow car. And then a little bit later, there's a yellow car. And by the end of the week, we're seeing yellow cars all over the place. And now, probably five years later, I just want to claw my eyes out. I cannot stop seeing yellow cars. I mean, I will blurt it out at the most inappropriate places and times with people in the car who think I've lost my mind. But another part of your brain, the reticular activating system is, is a filter. And if you tell your filter, I want to see more humor, it starts looking for that humor 
And now with the reticular activating system pairing with Hebb's law, you're going to start seeing more and firing more and wiring more into place until eventually it's going to become just second nature for you. Cool. So tell us all, I mean, that takes practice in the beginning, just like any new skill. Right, right. It doesn't quite come naturally. So give us some motivating nuggets why we should cultivate this practice. Uh, Where would you like to begin? Um, In terms of you as an individual, just what's in it for you? Um, We know that when we experience positive humor and mirth, that it's a full brain activity. It just, it, it's, Every part of your brain fires. Your prefrontal cortex fires because it's processing the cognitive. Your limbic system is engaged because of the mirth and the emotional experience. And your occipital lobe gets engaged because of the physical expression. And then you have this cascade of neurotransmitters that affect every system of your body. And so let's start with, for instance, stress because... Most people in the world have experienced stress. As a matter of fact, it's costing our our country billions of dollars every year, and it's costing people out of their pocket so much in lost time, lost productivity, healthcare costs, et cetera, et cetera. And so one of the beautiful things about humor is that it is anti-inflammatory. We know that when we are experiencing stress, that one of the byproducts of stress particularly long-term, is cortisol. And this is something bad juju for the body, right? I mean, this is the underpinning for so many of our disease processes. And one of the nice things about humor is that it's shown to lower cortisol levels. For people who have a tendency, you know, if they are pre-diabetic or have diabetes, there's been repeated studies that have shown that humor will lower blood glucose. For persons with this um, condition, not for not for non-diabetics, but for people with diabetes, it lowers their blood glucose. It lowers the LDL, so the harmful cholesterol, mm-hmm. and um, it boosts the immune system, short-term, mid-range, long-term. And so we're finding we're also found in a recent study that it affects short-term memory, and. For people who are like, oh my gosh, I wish I, you know, I wish I could boost my brain power. Mm-hmm. To practice humor on a regular basis looks as if it's going to play out to be a great adjunct to building memory. Another piece that was extremely exciting, Dr. Lee Burke at Loma Linda found that when he was doing brain studies on persons experiencing humor, that the people experienced gamma waves across their entire brain, which is the same brain pattern and activity that we see in people who practice deep mindfulness and deep meditation. And so we know that the byproduct of this could be better focus, more creativity, um, you know, more productivity. I mean, there's just so many wonderful reasons that you would benefit. And again, I just, you know, that's why I wrote What's So Funny About Heart Disease because of the anti-inflammatory effect. Dr. Michael Miller from Maryland found in his studies that people who practiced humor had 
technically it was an increased elasticity of the endothelial lining of their blood vessels. What that means to the lay person is their blood vessels were stretchier and so lowered blood pressure and decreased chance of stroke. And because we lay plaque as a response to inflammation in our body, if you have less inflammation, less plaque. So heart disease and um, diabetes, uh, anything that has an inflammatory response, even anything that stress can make it worse, you know, Alzheimer's and depression and all of these other things. And so this, I think, is a very critical piece for people who are like, wow, I would like, so just that alone, just that alone, you know, for me would be enough. I know that whenever I go in for my checkups, it, this kills my sister. My sister is a physician and she, over the last number of years, she's vegan and she works out and she's just like this limber, just tiny little athlete. And, but she's very competitive. And so, you know, anytime we get our lab results, you know, she's like, here's mine. And then I'll show her, here's mine. And she just, she's so upset because she knows my diet is kind of a seafood diet. I see it and I eat it. And then, you know, I do like to exercise, but you know, she's running and doing this and she's extreme and I'm yoga and long walks on the beach. And so, but, and my, my physician, whenever I walk in, she goes, I want you to frame your lab results. They're just so beautiful. But the, the piece that differs between she and I is that I am, this is part of my daily practice, just as if some people work out, you know, and do their PX90 every day. I do my 30 minutes of humor every day and I think I'm enjoying it a little more, but I could be wrong. <laughs> wow. That's huge. Cause, um, I don't know if you've looked through my book, chapter one is why eat right and exercise is not the key. Yes. And it's not that it doesn't matter. It's just that we've overlooked some even more important, even more powerful things. Yes. Right? Because they are sometimes they're so obvious, so simple that we take it for granted when we skip over it is the yes. point. And I found this one study um, was done pretty recently in 2016, this group of women that were divided up, up to eat a pro-inflammatory diet and an anti-inflammatory diet. Wow. To see how it modulated inflammatory markers in their blood. Well, guess what happened? Was there no difference? It turns out when they surveyed the women for stress levels, the women that reported low levels of stress, the anti-inflammatory diet did help them. And the pro-inflammatory diet did increase inflammation. But for the women that reported high levels of stress, it made absolutely no difference. Wow. That's huge. That's huge. That tells us that things like diet and possibly exercise, these things are important factors, but we have to start seeing it synergistically with the yes. other factors. And there may be, you know, the reason why something I, I hear the stats is like 90 something percent of doctors visits are stress related conditions. Yes. Now. yes. And so that is the big elephant in the room we really have to address. And what a better way to address it than practicing humor on a day to day basis. I don't think people will find that nearly as hard as going you know, paleo or keto right, right. or, you know. Or well, here's something that'll blow your mind. And that is that in, uh, in some repeated studies in Japan, they found that persons with diabetes, when they, uh, when they practiced humor, um, not only did it lower blood glucose, cholesterol, renin and angiotensin, which are harmful kidneys, but it went beyond the cellular level. They found positive changes at the level of DNA. So we're talking epigenetics. Wow. And when you're talking about big picture and when 
when we know that the fact is that currently one out of every 10 have diabetes by 2050, they're projecting one out of every three. You're right. We got to look at something besides just diet and exercise. There's a much bigger picture here going on. And what other things can we arm ourselves with to help us be happier and healthier individually and as a planet? Yeah, this is like the single biggest low-hanging fruit there is to influence our health and well-being that we're not talking about enough. Yes, yes. Wow. Thank you for doing your 30 years of work. (laughs) You're so welcome. You know, and and in terms of other kinds of things, um, you know, whether you're looking for a soulmate on Match.com or whether you're looking in terms of someone for leadership, one of the top three traits that people look for is a sense of humor. And so in terms, you know, we've been talking about influencing your health, but how can you influence your business? How can you influence your your tribe, your community? How can you influence um, those that you're leading? And in ter- the humor, again, plays such an important role because in terms of influence, it plays a lot of roles, whether it's in persuasion or teaching or um, diffusing. But humor is a great way to establish trust. Mm-hmm. And in many lines of work, you know, people want to work with people that they trust, whether you're a coach, whether you're a financial advisor, whether you're a healthcare provider or a banker or a minister, I mean, whatever that may be, how do you create that, that level of trust? And humor is a nice way to do that if you're using positive humor, because humor can be a tool or a weapon. I don't know if you've noticed that, that, you know, because there is power behind humor. And when you're using humor to uplift that other person, that's a a positive, constructive humor. But humor can also be used to oppress. You know, anytime someone, someone says something to you and ends it with, I'm joking, or can't you take a joke? Mm -hmm. They were not trying to uplift you. That was a weapon. And I'm, I've been brought in to speak a number of times about the use of humor as, you know, for horizontal violence, where people use it to oppress other people by bullying with humor. But if you're uplifting someone with humor, and here's, there's different styles of humor. There's, there's humor where everybody is enjoying and being kind of the, the butt of the joke. And then there's humor where you're making fun of yourself, self-effacing humor. And that is the most safe kind of humor that you can use to build relationships and rapport as long as you're not overdoing it. I mean, anything to extremes. A a friend of mine who's a psychologist said, make fun of your actions and not of who you are because it's easier to admit that you made a mistake than it is to admit you are a mistake. (laughs) But that being said, if you, here's what happens when you're using a little self-effacing humor, The other person sees your vulnerability, consciously or subconsciously, this is registering with them. Mm -hmm. And they're thinking, okay, they're being vulnerable. It's safe for me to share my vulnerabilities with them. And so it creates that cohesion and that that it's, it's a little bit like duct tape and WD-40 all at the same time because it's a social lubricant, but it also strengthens and binds. And so, you know, to use that, I, you know, I was recently rereading um, Robert Cialdini's book on influence, The Power of Persuasion, and he has another book also, Persuasion. 
and he talks about how you influence other people. And one of the, the, I mean, the very first one he talks about is likability. People, they, they connect a sense of likability to somebody who uses constructive humor. And you look at, there are so many great leaders who have understood this throughout time, you know, whether it's, you know, you know, Gandhi and Lincoln and Kennedy and Reagan, just so many wonderful leaders, Churchill, who used humor and used it appropriately and established that sense of trust with the people that they were leading. And so, you know, you can use this to your advantage, not to manipulate people, but to help bring them on board so that you can then be better at providing your services for them. Give us an example of like a super duper high tension situation that either you've experienced or historically that maybe we should know about where humor just totally saved the day. I'm sure uh, I love it. I mean, the one that comes to mind and is in my TEDx talk is the Cuban Missile Crisis. And, you know, this is October 1962, and we have the nuclear countdown ticking towards zero. And it had been 13 days that the U.S. and Russia had been rattling their sabers at one another. And, and it was a time where everybody was concerned about, are we still going to be around tomorrow? Is there, is there you know, are we all going to experience this nuclear Armageddon? And the Soviets and the Americans were deadlocked. You could just, we knew that the, that the fate of the world was in their hands. And while they're deadlocked at this table, one of the Soviets tells a joke. And he says to the group, what is the difference between capitalism and communism? In capitalism, men exploit men. In communism, is other way around. <laughs> Everybody burst out laughing and the tension broke, the talks resumed, and we didn't blow up the planet. You know, it's like that is something that is, I think, a huge example of, of being there to diffuse. And we've seen this, you know, on large scales and we see it daily on small scales, but it's, it's something where people respect and, and will participate, engage more if, if someone is using humor constructively and appropriately. And that's why we're devoting so much of the time on this book and, and showing people how to think about this more in depth, because we go into more detail than probably anybody would really be excited about besides us. But, you know, you get to pick and choose what you want, because we have found that there are building blocks to being somebody who practices high performance humor. It's about relationships. It's about managing your environment. It's about managing your authenticity. It's about safety, whether that's the physical or emotional harm. It's about timing because for little children, so much of the humor comes from just pure delight. But by the time we're adults, so much of our humor is relief humor experienced from pain and discomfort, whether it's yours or somebody else's. You know, you're, you're laughing about it. It's like, you are not going to believe the idiot that I had to follow for 30 minutes who had his left blinker on. I, you know, those kinds of things. Or the person who 
cut in front of you at the grocery store in the item that's in the express lane that says 10 items only and they have 37 items but 22 of them are cat food and they think that only counts as one so you know you you harness this and you you use this to your advantage and you know diffuse it it's it's just anyway i get excited so timing is one um and then confidence your ability to confidently express your humor when you choose to and the consistency it's like if you can consistently and and confidently express your humor and be mindful of the relationships, environment, authenticity, safety, and timing. Boom, you got it. That you, you've got mastery there. And so that's a lot of what we're wanting people to experience firsthand for themselves. Wow. I'm thinking also how much of what the programmings and patterns that operate our lives and our relationships is I've heard that it's like 95% of it's, it's subconscious and mm-hmm. through things like meditation and hypnosis, we can access and shift those old patterns. Mm-hmm. Can you talk about how humor, cause it sounds like with the gamma state that humor could maybe do the same things and allow yes. us to heal some deeply seated old patterns or traumas or wounds, but in a fun way. It, it is in a fun way. And, you know, I, I actually did a, a, an interview with somebody on disruption. And, you know, on the one hand, so many people view disruption as a bad thing. But pattern interrupt with disruption can be a good thing because it brings to, you know, it, it makes you more mindful. It brings your attention back to present because, you know, so much of our day, we're going through being either future focused or past focused instead of being in the present. And the wonderful thing about humor is that it it really it zaps you back into the present to be able to experience it. So in terms of pattern disrupt, if you if we were taught you and I about the ability to set alarms and on your phone and not just have it say alarm, you know, and so I have different alarms set during the day where it's like humor break. And when I, when I have that, that's when I go in and I have go-tos. And this is part of what I teach people. It's like, what can you do to increase the likelihood? Because if you're always looking for it, you're going to find it. But when you need it really fast, how can you have it? And so I have things bark, bookmarked on my phone and my computer. I have podcasts. I have websites. I have all different kinds of social media. I have go-to people. I have everything to make sure that I can increase that likelihood and do it right away. And when I practice that and do that pattern interrupt, then I can, you know, what a great positive way to get me back in a positive mindset, disrupt the negative behavior that I might be caught in. And we can also do cues, which is if this, then that which is another great way to create habits and create a disrupt. So if I'm tired and find myself standing in front of the refrigerator, then that. Instead, I'm going to pull up something humorous on my phone and watch that first. And then I'm going to decide, am I hungry? If I'm, you know, find myself escalating and I'm getting ready to send an email, you know, and, you know, if this, I'm getting ready to hit send on a, a really angry email, then that before I send it, I'm going to pull up 
David Sedaris live at Carnegie Hall and listen to 10 minutes of that. And so to bring that in as a method to disrupt a pattern is something that then you get the benefits of feeling good, lowering the cortisol, increasing the gamma waves, experiencing all of these wonderful, wonderful, you know, chemistry and alertness and, and just feeling better. And more people are going to want to hang around you, positive people, because when you are, when you are emanating that positive vibration and flow and spirit, it's contagious. And there are those people, and I'm sure you've met them, who their goal in life is to be absolutely miserable and their mission is to see how many of the rest of us they can bring down with them. But if you just quit buying into that and focus on that, that 2%, 5%, 10%, it will grow. Of the people who are positive in your life, the negative will fall away and you will start bringing in more. Uh, one of the people and companies that I interviewed experienced this, where they they injected humor into their corporate culture, and they saw immediate uptick in communication. They saw an immediate uptick in the people who previously had been in cubicles now hanging out together. But they said the people who were their clients who tended to be kind of the the wet blankets. That it was like, you know, we don't buy into this humor stuff. They fell away. But clients who were like, oh, you guys look like you're fun to work with. Now they're attracting these. And they said, now they love their clients. They've been named one of the, they were named the number one best place to work in New York City. And, you know, it's just this little com company of 50 people. So surround yourself with those people that are more fun and more positive. And, and the rest, it just gets better and better. The better it gets, the better it gets. Yeah, and maybe eventually you'll infect those depressive people with with a good belly laugh, and you know, it would be great if they great. if they can buy in. I have found that you know better to invite them in than try to force them in, right? Because if you do, they'll resist. But if they see how much fun you're having and how pleasant and how good it feels, um, then maybe they'll think, "Oh, I got to get me some of that." Thirty years of research. There's probably I could probably speak with you for days or weeks. Of yes, yes. But what was the most mind-blowing and surprising thing you learned in these 30 years of studying so deeply into this topic? You know, I think for me, from a personal anecdote, the mind-blowing thing was, wow, this, this isn't just hearsay. It really works. I experienced it with my son, who when he was in college, we discovered he had cancer in his chest. He had a fist-sized cancerous tumor. Very scary time. And um, I will say he's been cancer-free now 10 years. So that's, that's the happy side of the story. But he was, he was going to school full-time. He was working part-time as a bouncer in a bar. Makes mom really happy. But, you know, and he and his best friend at work were referred to as, the, as characters from a TV show or a movie, um, Tonto and the Lone Ranger. And then he experiences cancer. He has to go through months of chemotherapy. He loses all of his hair, the steroids. He becomes, you know, bloated and a bit disfigured. And it was a very painful, difficult time for him. But at one point, a bunch of his friends come over and I hear all this laughter. And when they leave, I walk in and he is smiling bigger than I've seen him smile in months. And I said, what was going on in there? What, what's so funny? And he said, oh, they gave me a new nickname. I said, what is it? He said, chemo sabi. I was like, ah, yeah. And, and we laughed. And then I, I realized he's going to be okay. 
because he was using humor to help heal himself physically and spiritually and emotionally. And I didn't have to call all my clients and say, well, you know that stuff I was teaching you? It's crap. Don't go there. Uh, you know, it was like this, this really works. And as I have, have I, as I have started using it intentionally in my business, it's made a difference with the people that I work with and the kind of outcomes that I get. And in my personal life, it's made a big difference. And if I were to give one piece of advice to people and it's like, what would be the, what would be the one thing that you could do? Um, here's what I would suggest. And that is starting today, consistently every day. Try this for 30 days. If this doesn't work, then skip it. But I think you'll see results much faster. But every day, seek humor from another person. Doesn't matter if it's a family member, if it's a customer, a client, a patient, a student, a teacher, a boss, the kid on the other side of the counter when you're ordering your fries. Ask them for a joke a story, a most embarrassing moment. What's the funniest thing you've heard a customer say? What's the craziest thing? I ask this of all my Uber drivers. You know, it's like the stories they have. Oh my word. You know, what's the, what's the most outrageous thing that you've ever had when you've had an Uber customer or whatever? And here's two things will happen. One, people will start assuming that you have a sense of humor, whether you have one or not, because their mentality will be, well, they must have a sense of humor or they wouldn't have asked me this question. Yes. And remember what we said a while back was that this is one of the top three traits that people seek in another person. Second, now you are, you are, are pulling in and, and receiving all of these examples of humor that you can start using for yourself and start sharing with others. So you're collecting the funny stories, the most embarrassing moments, the crazy things that people have said, the funny signs, the, the outrageous things that children do. You, you combine these and now you start looking for ways intentionally to put them in your presentations, put them in an email, put them on your website copy, put it in uh, you know, a, a presentation that you're doing for a client, use it as an icebreaker to meet somebody. There's so many ways that you can use this, and, but it all stems from just asking somebody every day, oh, what's the funniest thing that's happened to you? What's the funniest thing you've heard? What's the funniest thing your grandchild said? That kind of thing so that you can seek it from another person and it'll be life-changing. Wow, I can't wait to get started. Yeah, share with me what you find. I've been meditating regularly for many years, almost two decades, and yeah, I've been looking for a new practice. I love the 30-day the humor challenge. I love it. 30-day humor challenge. Go for it. Go for it. My husband always says, he calls me bunny. He's like, he's a pretty funny guy. I laugh at most of his jokes, but when I crack a joke, he's like, funny you you're not that funny you need to work on it so I actually did put an intention of my my three words my daily reminder three words nice. one of them is funny yay have a conscious practice like you're talking about so I'm excited to be more funny next time you meet me excellent excellent well practice the see funny and the be funny will fall into place Beautiful. So um, before I ask your last question, how can we follow more of your work? Oh, man, I would love to connect with you on almost any kind of social media. I love 
Twitter, LinkedIn, Pinterest, Facebook. Um, and there's, of course, always the website. And I have a, uh, a PDF. If anybody's interested and would love to receive a PDF, if they would just, if they email me at highperformancehumor at gmail, and I will email them a PDF of the 10 best practices and also some other prizes of unspeakable value, including some information about a free um, seven-day video that's going to be up within about 10 days from now um, on just nourishing your sense of humor. It's an easy seven-day practice. We'll go just every day look a little bit at the things that you and I have been talking about and just helping people be a little more intentional. So highperformancehumor at gmail.com. Wonderful. In the first chapter of my book, I invite people to look beyond eat right and exercise and look at all those things that nourish us, yes. eat us on all levels, physical, mental, emotional, spiritual levels. What is food that's not the physical food? We've totally zeroed in on that. Absolutely. Today. Absolutely. The best bang for the buck self-care practice we can all do. That is so easy. I believe so. That's why I've stuck with this for 30 years. Trust me, there's been a lot of people who have said, boy, there's easier ways to make a living and there's other things that you could do to make more money. And I said, no, this, this really, I, my mission is to change the world through humor and laughter. And I think that we really can use humor to change the world, you know, and I think we can do it on an individual basis. I think we can do it on a community basis. And I think we can do it on a global basis. I'm sure of it. Wow. It reminds me how, um, you've seen all the statues of Buddha. He's like skinny, he's fat, he's meditating, but the ultimate one is where he's chubby and the laughing, laughing like he Buddha. finally got the cosmic joke, you know? The laughing Buddha, I love it. I actually have a, a class that I'm, that I'm going to be offering on humor and spirituality, and I, we, we go into just that because really the ultimate experience of spirituality is joy, and humor is, is such an a no-brainer tool to help move you up that emotional scale and help you to get into that state so that you can experience just the, the most bliss and joy and, and connect with your spirit as best you can. Thank you for doing this amazing work, Karen. Oh, thank you. I'm so delighted that you asked. This really is a joy for me because I, I really feel that you and I have, now that we have the knowledge, we have the obligation to help other people and help change the world. And, and that's what you and I are doing. And so thank you for that. I will be reaching out to you to interview you for my podcast, which will be starting after the first of the year in 2019. Wonderful, exciting. So my very final question, even yes, though I'd love to keep talking with you, I know you have to get back to working on your book, which I'm super excited to read. My last question is, if you could distill it down to one single piece of advice. What is the most important key we should know about tapping into our highest level of human possibility? The, the one thing, you know, it, it ties into seeking from another person. But I think that the really the one thing is the reframing. The one thing is that perspective, because we do have a choice. Um, I loved the quote by Viktor Frankl who wrote Man's Search for Meaning. And if any of your people have not read Man's Search for Meaning, that's one of the top 100 books that I believe everyone would benefit from reading in their lifetime. But he said, between stimulus and response, there's a space. And in that space lies our power to choose our response. In our response 
lies our growth and our happiness. What do we put between that stimulus and response? We do have a choice. And my humble opinion is that if we intentionally choose to put humor in that space, that it will change our lives. It'll allow us to be more successful. It will enable us to be more significant with others and it will allow us to experience greater happiness. Wow. Thank you so much for that amazing conversation, Karen. And You're welcome. My pleasure, Dr. E. It blew my mind and burst in my heart open and just realizing that sometimes we make life unnecessarily complicated. <laughs> Isn't that funny how we do that? Yeah. And then when, when some of the most powerful, potent, world-changing solutions are this simple, cultivating a sense of humor, seeing life with the eyes of humor. Yeah, it is. It's mind-blowing. And it is. It's so simple that most people will not do it because it's like, well, if it's that simple, then it can't really be that powerful. Yeah. Trust me. So we're on is. 30 day challenge, 30 day challenge. Go for it. See what happens. I'd love if you guys leave a comment below and let us know how it goes for these next. Please do. Days. Would love to hear your questions, your comments. We're here to serve. Thank you so much, Karen, for that delicious conversation. Thank you, Dr. So e. Much My pleasure. Thank you so much. <laughs> My Bye. pleasure. Bye. Hi, friends. Did you love that interview? If you did, please leave a review and share with all your friends so that many more people can benefit from these game-changing insights. You can also go onto our website, dredithubuntu.com, and subscribe to our newsletter, where you'll receive free trainings and next-level ninja tools that we only share on our newsletter. Together, let's turn your life into a brilliant masterpiece.